0: Hey, Tumble listeners, we have two quick announcements for you. First, we want to hear what you think about kids' podcasts. Parents, fill out a quick survey at kidslisten.org to help us learn more about you. That's at kidslisten.org. Second, we're doing a free live show in Boston this Sunday, October 9th. We'll be at the Cambridge Science Festival with some special guests from Life Lab. Details are in the episode description. Would love to see you there.
1: Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. This is part four of Life Lab, our five-part series about how tiny life can change the world.
0: In our last episode, we sat in on a conversation between a dad and his eight-year-old daughter as they figured out how to make good decisions about synthetic biology.
1: It gave us some ways to think through some tough questions. You should listen to that episode if you haven't already.
0: Now, we're about to discover the most trend-setting, future-thinking, avant-garde, next, 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 next season's fashion, all made with synthetic biology. Marshall, I can't believe it's already our fourth episode of Life Lab. I know,
1: it's really flown by. It's amazing how quick four weeks can be.
0: (laughs) I feel like we've been on a whirlwind tour of synthetic biology. We've seen its beginnings, we've taken it on an imaginary trip to Mars, and seen how it could make disease disappear.
1: And you can't forget the cheese part.
0: How could I? (laughs) But now we're close to the finale, so we've got to get dressed and ready for it in synthetic biology fashion.
1: Ooh, glam time.
0: So to understand how engineering can turn biology into clothing, I turn to Dan Widmeyer, the head of Bolt Threads one of the leading companies using synthetic biology to make materials for fashion. Did you ever think you'll be like working in a fashion job when you were growing up when you were a kid?
2: 0.0% probability. (laughs) Uh, No, absolutely not. It's actually interesting because it's, it's, fashion is one of the last places as scientists or engineers we think to innovate.
0: Dan now works with famous fashion designers and brands. But like all fashion greats, he came from humble beginnings as a scientist working in a lab.
2: And the thing I worked on was how spiders make their silk.
1: Wait, like spider silk for webs?
0: Yes. Dan thought spider silk was just the most incredible material, and far better than the silk we use today. So he and two friends started Bolt Threads to see if they could make spider silk— for the things we wear every day.
2: Me and my co-founder David would wander around the Bay Area and collect live spiders and put them in cages. And uh, I would keep them in my 350 square foot apartment with my wife, who was not particularly happy with the fact that we had, I don't know, 30 to 50 spiders living on the dresser at all times.
1: Oh my goodness, spiders, science, a small apartment. How could this not go wrong? Sounds like a twist on Spider-Man, except they escape and start their own clothing company.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. When I talked to Dan over Zoom, he looked like a regular scientist-turned-CEO, not a scientist-turned-superhero. But I had to ask, have you ever been bitten by a spider?
2: Yes, and I do not have superpowers yet. (laughs) If I look into the canon of Stan Lee's Spider-Man, you know, it's the combination of radiation and spiders, and we've only had spiders. You know, I've not been bit as much as I thought I would when we started working with spiders.
1: I mean, I guess not everyone gets into spiders to gain spidey senses.
0: Yeah, some people just think spiders are super cool and interesting.
2: We wanted to know what the different silks were that different spiders make, because an individual spider makes six or seven different kinds of silk. Wait, he just said one spider makes six or seven different
1: kinds of silk? Like, I thought they just made the, like, one web kind.
0: I know. That's what I thought, too. But their bodies actually contain little silk factories. Like, imagine their buds holding tiny spools of silk thread.
2: (laughs) I've got the image. I'm going (laughs) to admit it's not a pleasant one. And the silks have different properties. Like, some are super strong, some are super stretchy, like rubber.
0: In fact, spider silk is five times as strong as steel. If steel was as thin as a thread of silk.
1: That's incredible. You think of silk as being soft, but this makes it sound like a really tough fabric.
0: It combines both beauty and brawn. But while humans have managed to work with silkworms to make beautiful clothes from their cocoons, spider silk hasn't been quite so easy to work with.
2: An individual spider has maybe 50 milligrams, so 50 thousandths of a gram of silk in there. And your average shirt weighs, you know, 200 grams, something like that. Like That'd be a lot of spiders. So can we find a better way to make the same thing the spider makes? And that's where we go to synthetic biology.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense to me because a spider silk farm with like 7,000 spiders thousands in it. And thousands of spiders. <laughs> People actually have nightmares about that. I'm pretty sure.
0: <laughs> it's definitely the setting for a horror film. So How can we get spider silk without the creepy spiders?
2: What we'll often do is copy, in the case of the silk, copy the DNA, the instruction set for making spider silk protein, out of those cells from the spider and put them in another cell.
1: There's that copy-paste method again.
0: Bolt Threads puts the spider silk DNA into brewer's yeast, which is the same stuff that brewers use to make beer.
2: And then we grow it in big fermentation tanks.
0: So instead of beer coming out of those big tanks, you get the stuff that makes spider silk.
1: Wait, so like, it's like a giant soupy puddle? <laughs> how, do you, how do you get the threads?
0: Well, it's like a yeasty molecular mix. And it takes a lot of steps until you're able to make clothes out of the stuff. Bolt calls their fake spider silk, bee silk.
1: Well, that's all cool. But I have one big question. Shoot. Why is this a problem that needs solving?
0: We'll find out after this quick break.
1: All right, so we're back. So are you going to tell me now why this is a problem that needs to be solved?
0: Yes, thank you for waiting. As Dan sees it, the way we make materials for clothes is a huge worldwide problem.
2: So we, on this planet, today on Earth, we produce, as a society, over 100 billion garments per year. So these are pants, clothes, underwear, socks... Things like that.
1: Wait, a uh, hundred billion pieces of clothing every year? Are they counting each sock twice? 100 a hundred of-
0: billion altogether. <laughs> and much of it is made with polyester, a fabric you might have heard of. It's a synthetic fiber that's actually made with oil.
1: Wait, so it's like oil we put in our cars? Like the stuff that you burn to get to the store, that goes into our clothes?
0: Yes, Probably the clothes you're wearing right now have some amount of polyester
2: in them. The t-shirt I'm wearing is probably a polyester cotton blend. The polyester will be around long after I'm dead.
1: Wait, so he's saying that the materials in the t-shirt that I'm wearing right now are going to outlive me?
0: Yes. The current estimate is that it takes about 300 years for polyester to go away in the environment. It's essentially plastic.
1: So throwing away your t-shirt has the same issue as throwing away your plastic bottle.
0: Yeah, and that's a big problem because even if we give our clothes to other people after we're done wearing them, we're just not going to be able to wear the same clothes for 300 years. They're all eventually going to get thrown away.
2: So like, you can draw out the day that happens, but at some point it's going to get thrown away. And the vision at Bolt is if everything's made of biomaterials, when that product reaches the end of its lifespan, or if you lose some of it, it gets torn, a little bit of the fiber goes down the drain, in the washing machine. If it's made of biomaterials, it's a material that the Earth can process in a much faster time scale.
0: Meaning these materials can biodegrade, just like the silk in a spider's web.
1: Wow. Well, that's great, but are we all going to be only wearing spider silk clothes in the future? Because that would be a big change in my wardrobe, I, I think.
0: No, Dan envisions different kinds of biomaterials replacing almost all the materials we use now. Another one he's working on is leather.
2: One thing that most people don't know, if you buy a piece of leather, it's up to 40% plastic.
0: The plastic helps preserve the leather so it could last as a car seat or a couch, for example.
1: Well, that's insane, but how do you make leather without cows?
0: From mushrooms, of course.
2: Wait, what? you go find a mushroom in your yard with a parent and you dig underneath the soil, you find all these white stringy thread-like things underneath. Those are the mycelium. They're part of the mushroom that are in the soil breaking down dead stuff.
1: Okay, so it's like mushroom roots or something.
0: Yes, those stringy threads are the key.
2: We have this product, Milo, where we use those threads, the mycelium, as the fiber component that makes a really amazing leather-like material.
0: Famous designers and brands are already using Milo for footwear, bags, and even yoga mats.
1: That's crazy. And where do I get myself a mushroom leather jacket? And can it have a mushroom emblazoned on the back?
0: (laughs) Right now, products made with Milo and spider silk are very rare and pretty expensive. But Dan says that won't always be the case.
2: So we're right at the beginning of a lot of these biomaterials coming out in the market and things that you can buy.
0: He says the idea is that it will get cheaper to make biomaterials as they have more practice making them. Then more stuff will be made with biomaterials and eventually they'll replace the materials that are bad for the planet. That all seems
1: great. But, you know, I'm thinking about what we learned in the last episode with Sam and Izzy. So how do we know that this is the right solution for this problem?
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot, too. Do you ever think about, like, what could go wrong with
2: this? Oh, yeah, all the time.
0: People have worried about genetically modified organisms escaping the lab and contaminating other environments since those very first experiments back in the 70s. Uh,
1: this continues to sound like the start of a comic book where there's just, like, wild bacteria making sweaters.
0: Well, Dan says that his company works hard to ensure that nothing crosses the barrier from the lab to the rest of the world.
2: You know, we have a general principle that none of our materials are living materials when they go out the door, right? A sheet of Milo is dead. Like the mycelium are no longer alive. Same with the spider silk. The organism that grew it doesn't go into the product.
1: That's good, but I feel like there's so many other questions that we could be asking, like maybe questions
2: we don't even know that we should ask.
0: I know, and Dan knows that too.
2: I think in all new technology, you can never answer those questions with 100% certainty. Only with hindsight can you come back and say, here's what we did right, here's what we did wrong.
0: He said the best thing they can do is try to answer their own question.
2: How do we make sure that we're constantly getting better on how we're taking care of the planet?
1: I think that's a really excellent
2: question.
0: Yeah, it means you can always go back and ask more questions about whether biomaterials are the right solution. But one thing is for sure, the problem of how our clothes are made is a problem that needs solving.
1: In the words of the great fashion guru Tim Gunn, you've got to make it
0: work. You have to make it work. (laughs) Fashion is all about creativity, but that creativity can go beyond creating the newest looks to changing its impact on our planet.
2: It's one of very few industries that literally every person on the planet uses. Most things are used by some people, not all people. There's a handful of things that all people use. And anything, in my opinion, that all people use is by definition an important sustainability crisis.
0: In other words, when there are over 8 billion people on Earth How do we keep them all clothed, fed, and healthy while keeping our planet healthy at the same time? That's like
1: definitely the hardest question of our time, I would say.
0: In our final episode of Life Lab, we'll tackle the biggest challenge of them all.
1: It's definitely possible that we can play a huge role in solving climate change. Yes.
0: That's next week on Life Lab. Thanks to Dan Widmeyer, CEO of Bolt Threads.
1: LifeLab is supported by the Engineering Biology Research Consortium, a nonprofit committed to educating the next generation in building a community dedicated to solving big challenges with engineering biology. With funding from the National Science Foundation under award number 2116166. Special thanks to Emily Orrend and India Hook Barnard.
0: You can find a transcript and other educational materials about this episode on the blog on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com.
1: Hear more from Dan about what happens when fashion meets science on our bonus interview podcast. It's available to Tumble patrons who pledge just a dollar or more a month on patreon.com/slash tumblepodcast.
0: Our interns on this project are Elliot Hijaj and Grace Ingram. Eric Kuhn is our engineer and mixer. Sarah Robertson-Lentz edited the series and designed the episode art. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote this episode.
1: And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I did all the scoring and sound design for this episode. Tumble is a production of Tumble Media. Thanks for listening, and join us next week for the final episode of Life Lab. Thanks so much for listening to that episode. And now that it's over, we've got some birthday shout outs to give to our supporters on Patreon. Rowan, happy 7th birthday on October 7th. Mama and Daddy are so proud of you every day. You're their kind, curious, funny, and creative explorer. Love from both of them. Olivia, happy birthday on October 8th. Lots of love to our scientists in training from mom and dad. Elijah, happy birthday on October 11th. Don't stop asking questions. Ulysses, Mama and Dad love you so much and are so glad you love science. And happy birthday on October 14th. Thanks to all of you and to everyone who supports Tumble on Patreon. If you want to get a birthday shout out of your own like these fine folks, simply support Tumble on Patreon at the $5 level or higher by going to patreon.com tumblepodcast. Once again, that's patreon.com tumblepodcast.